This is great audio. This is my sound check. Thank you for listening to the Martinis and the Macabre podcast. This show contains graphic content and explicit language. It is intended for immature adult audiences. Listener discretion is advised. day that my company will be owned by the owner it's switching hands on monday yeah it's sad yeah because we love your boss yeah well we'll still see her yeah in fact we need to see her in september me and you need me and you do but it's going to take some getting used to because now we're going to like a touchscreen computer system type of thing and i won't be doing any paperwork like, there's a company that's going to do that. The company's going to order beer. The company's going to order liquor. The company's going to order cigarettes. It's going to order fucking paper bags. It's going to order everything. That's I'll... the difference between a privately owned small company. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm going to miss it, though. I said I'd stick around. Because um, really, I didn't want to stick around. I was there for the owner. Mm-hmm. You know, My loyalty was to her. So when she sold, I was like, okay, well, then I guess I'm done. <laughs> but the general manager he he really tried to fight for like keep the same you know uh you, you could take Saturdays off if you want you can add you could work like you can work seven days straight if you want to you know and you could you're gonna keep your same pay you know and all that stuff so but you have to wear khakis yep i have to wear khakis which you are not thrilled about yep and um due to us starting with a new company um you i have no seniority anymore and i have no time built so you don't bring that with you no so i have no vacation i have no vacation time i have no paid days off which means i have no chicago trip very true so there goes that and we bought those tickets too yeah isn't that fucking grand so Anybody want some tickets? <laughs> Due to unforeseen circumstances of Billy's employer selling the company. Oh, it's not her fault. I'm glad she did. I'm no, no, did. I'm not saying it's her fault. It's just we were not expecting that. And I'm not going to go to Chicago alone. And What are you going to do? Yeah, so sorry about that, guys. Probably will not be making it. We'll see what we can do. But Hit us up next year. When I have time built up. <laughs> as long as it's within driving distance or, in Billy's case, flying distance. I don't want to drive anywhere. I have something here before we start. Okay. I, I had to pick this up. You didn't have to. Oh, I had to. Had Wait to. till the listeners hear this. This is a beer from Duclaw Brewing Company. It's a Sour Me series. There's a Sour Me uh, Mojito and Sour Me something else. You know, I think it's just a rotational thing. This is Sour Me Unicorn Farts. Mm-hmm. How do you not buy that just from the name? <laughs> this is There's an actual picture on the front of a unicorn farting. farting. A rainbow. Yeah. yeah. It's adorable. And it's a sour ale brewed with fruity cereal, and it has edible glitter in it. 
<laughs> I've, you know, a lot, a lot of customers, I only ordered one case, right? And it's like six four packs. Mm-hmm. And I've had customers looking and go, I don't know. I was like, it has edible glitter in it. And they're like, I want it. <laughs> Just so you can say you did it. You know? <laughs> Which is why I am opening it right now. We've not seen it yet. Oh. Oh, what? I'm smelling it. And I could tell by the smell. This is a sour ass. I could tell by the smell. This is tart. Here's my glass. Not really seeing any glitter. Where's the glitter? There's no glitter. Edible glitter, my ass. He was hoping he'd have sparkly poos. I see it. I see it. It's in there. What is it, tiny? A little sparkle. Look, 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 baby. Look, look in there. See him? Oh, yeah. I see it pouring in there. There it is. Look in there. Oh, I do see it. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Money shot on my hand. <laughs> I see I have him. a glittery beer. <laughs> I see it now. Oh, my God. This is so cool. It's like a fine glitter. Yeah, like it's like a, a mist. glitter dust. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. That's tart. <laughs> <laughs> That's sour as fuck. <laughs> I wish you guys could see his face. <laughs> you try. Oh, Billy's gonna make me try. I'm not a beer gal. You guys know this, but Ugh, I can smell the beer. That is very tart. That's very tart. But the tartness takes away from the beer flavor, so oh, wow. it's not that bad. She likes it. I'm not gonna say I like it, but okay, let, we're, we're, we're wasting too much time. You go ahead and get started. <laughs> I'm gonna stare into. Look, look, just look into it. Oh yeah, look at those sparkles. <laughs> we're gonna have to cut a lot of this out. I'm just we're having too much fun with this beer. Yeah, we are too easily amused. That's why we say the show is for immature adult audiences. <laughs> that looks a little creepy. The way you're holding your hand and staring at it wide-eyed. <laughs> I'm looking at it like it's fucking Narnia. You go ahead. All right, guys. Welcome to Martinis and the Macabre, the podcast where we drunkenly discuss morbid murders, mysteries, and mayhem. My name's Erica, and I'm joined by my unicorn fart drinking husband, Billy. God, that is tart. <laughs> mm. And it's tart. Hi, guys. <laughs> I like it. I don't know. You look like you're going to go into ticks. Oh, man. You start twitching. That's the good stuff. That's how you know it's good. It's like that shampoo. It's tingling. That means it's working. Okay. So we're going to get away from the glitter. And talk about horrible things. And talk about horrible things. The way Erica wants it. (laughs) Not the way I want it. Mm -hmm. Well, a little bit. But it's fun. It's neat. Right? Neat. All right, so this week we're going to take a little break from true crime, but don't get too sad because there is still plenty of death and destruction because, well, that's what we do. It's kind of how we roll. We've got a disaster to discuss that came about not just from one fuck up, but many fucks up compounded on each other, making a perfect storm of fuck uppery. 
It is the deadliest accident in aviation history, leaving 583 people dead. And it didn't even happen in the air. Now, what you guys might be thinking is something that I thought, you know, I was like, hey, um, more than people died in 9-11 than this. But, like Erica said, this was an accident and 9-11 was not. That was an intentional act of terrorism. This is just a big clusterfuck on the tarmac. Yes, a horrible clusterfuck. So, let's go back to March 27th of 1977. In the Canary Islands off the southwest coast of Morocco. The String of Islands is an autonomous community of Spain, which, if I understand it correctly, would be similar to how we here in the U.S. have differing laws state to state, and each community having similar government structure but with different rules. And in 1977, though, it was not yet an autonomous community, and some people had a problem with that. A group called the Canary Islands Independence Movement, or CIIM, is described as a, quote, independentist organization that wanted autonomy. Independentist? Independentist. That's a fucking word. Yes. Okay. They were for being independent, so they were called independentist. All right. And the thing is, they resorted to violence to try to make this happen, so they're pretty much a terrorist organization, if you ask me. Okay, now we're starting to get into terrorism. Was this an ex- You know what? Get to it. Well, we'll get to it. Anywho, on March 27th, 1977, this group set off a bomb in a floral shop inside the Gran Canaria International Airport on the island of Gran Canaria. It injured eight people, and the group threatened to set off another bomb. Now, I know this sounds like true crime, but this isn't the main part of the story, just what started this shitstorm. So because of the risk of further bombs, the airport shut down and all air traffic had to be rerouted. Several flights, many of which were large jumbo jets, were redirected to the Los Rodeos Airport, which is now called the Tenerife North Airport, on the nearby island of Tenerife. And Billy is... Smiling at his glass of beer. I'm listening. (laughs) Now, the Los Rodeos Airport was a much smaller. Thank you. (laughs) It's still sparkling. Yeah, it is. The Los Rodeos Airport was a much smaller regional airport. Like we have. Yeah, similar. It was probably bigger than what we have here. Ours is pretty small. I don't even think we have a coffee shop in that place. We used to have a restaurant in there. I don't know if it's still there or not. Yeah. Wait, that's there? I thought it was just in front of the restaurant. Like you pass it pulling into the restaurant or pulling into the airport. No, I think it's in the same building as like the lounge area of the airport. What? We need to go there sometime. But um, this airport was not accustomed to this much traffic, especially on a Sunday when there were only two air traffic controllers on duty. Nor was it accustomed to the size of these aircrafts. There was only one runway with one long taxiway that ran parallel to it. Connecting the two strips were four short, angled taxiways, so it kind of looked like a drunkard tried to build a ladder but couldn't get the rungs level. (laughs) Still tart, huh? Well, yeah. (laughs) So, you can look up a diagram of this if you need a visual, but to kind of describe it for those of you that aren't going to look it up, this is kind of how it looked. If the long taxiway is on the left Mm -hmm. and the runway is on the right, and these make the sides of the so-called ladder, the first taxiway going across would be the bottom rung, and it's pretty well perpendicular like an H. Like, so they're all 
going down, pulling a U-turn, and then and when they come out of that U-turn, that's where they take off, right? Kind of. You go down. Except they're not making a complete U because of how they're intersecting. Okay. Let me describe it. Okay. So you've got the long taxiway and the runway, and the runway is where the plane takes off. The taxiway is where they taxi up to get in position to take off. And then you've got these little connecting taxiways in between. So the if you're looking at it, taxiway on the left, runway on the right, the very first middle taxiway is perpendicular. So it looks like an H. That would be like the bottom rung of the ladder. Oh, gotcha. Now, the next crossover, taxiway number two, is kind of what happened after 12-pack. It's angled with the right side much higher on our ladder than the left. And taxiway three is pretty much the same with the right higher than the left. But then our drunkard moved on to the hard liquor for taxiway number four, which is angled the complete opposite direction with the left side being higher than the right. So this may seem ridiculous to go over, but it does play a part in a bit. Out of all the air traffic that was diverted to Los Rodeos, Five of the aircrafts were large airliners, two of them being Boeing 747 jetliners, or the original jumbo jets. And these things are huge, like well over 200 feet long, 10 seat and two aisles wide, double decker huge. So let me give you some details about each of these Boeings, as they are the central figures in this disaster. That's a huge bitch. Exactly. One of the Boeings was KLM Flight 4805. It was a charter flight for Holland International Travel Group and had flown in from the Netherlands. The jet's name was Rhine, and it was carrying 234 passengers and 14 crew members. The other was Pan Am Flight 1736 out of Los Angeles International Airport. This one was named Clipper Victor and was carrying 380 passengers and 16 crew members. So to keep things clear, just remember that the KLM flight is from the Netherlands, And the Pan Am flight is from America. And I'm just going to refer to them as KLM and Pan Am so we don't get bogged down with numbers or names. So KLM. And I'm Billy. And you're Billy. And I'm Erica. Okay. Go. Go. Um, But the KLM was captained by, and it's spelled Jacob, but it's pronounced Jakob Van Zanten, the 50-year-old chief flight instructor for KLM. He had over 11,700 flight hours, over 1,500 of those being on the Boeing 747. So if anybody were to fly a plane, it'd be that guy. You'd think. He could, yeah. probably, he could probably build the fucking plane. He was joined in the cockpit by First Officer Klaus Meurs and Flight Engineer Willem Schroeder. And I'm sure I'm probably going to butcher these names. But Bless you. <laughs> most of the passengers were Dutch, but... Uh, uh, yeah. Sure. There were also a handful of Germans, Austrians, and Americans. The Pan Am flight had changed crews during a layover in New York before flying to the Canary Islands. It was captained by 56-year-old Victor Grubbs, who had over 21,000 hours of flight time, over 550 of those on the Boeing 747. He was joined by some other men with verbs for last names, First Officer Robert Bragg and Flight Engineer George Warnes. <laughs> I'm sure Kate would love them because <laughs> we've got Victor Grubbs, so he's chowing down, and we got Robert Bragg, who won't shut up he's by himself. Just yeah, all about me, 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 and then George Warns, 
Robert Braggs to shut the fuck up. And he's like, guys, I have a bad feeling about this flight. (laughs) (laughs) And Robert Bragg was all like, I got this. Shut up. (laughs) Victor Grubbs was like, is it time to leave? (laughs) (laughs) I got the bracelet for Belinda's birthday. (laughs) As I said before, this pile of fuck uppery started with a bomb. It went off at 1.15 local time, and the air traffic was redirected. The Pan Am crew stated to air traffic control that they would prefer to just circle in a holding pattern until they were okay to land on Gran Canaria, but they were ordered to divert to Tenerife with the rest of the incoming flights. So, they didn't get their way. KLM landed at Los Rodeos before Pan Am, but there were already three other large airliners at the airport. You know, I just thought of it. They were like, okay... We're going to try to make it to such, such airport. And Patrick's like, eh. All right. Uh, we're being diverted. We're not going to make it. They're like, oh. We're being diverted to the Canary Islands. Oh. No, they were going to the Canary Islands. Oh, they were. They were just going to another oh. island in so the be, string of Canary Islands. It'd be islands. crazy if like, you're, you're not going to make it there, but you're going to make it to a place that sounds very fucking nice. Yeah. They were going to Grand Can- uh, Canaria, which mm-hmm. is like kind of a major tourist destination with canaries i got you and then they were redirected to tenerife which is another popular destination for uh, tourists because all of them are <laughs> they had a lot of reefs <laughs> had 10 of them tenerifes yep, yep. yeah fucking geology lesson or geography lesson from billy over here yeah Way to hold the show together, Billy. I really am. With your education. I'm really... Oh God, you guys are so fucking lucky I'm here. Yeah, we are. So. I don't read good. Back to what I read up on. Because, you know, I'm not as knowledgeable as Billy. I had to research. I'm a scholar. Where? Just fucking read it. <laughs> so, uh... Yeah, there were already three other large airliners at the airport when KLM got there. The large aircrafts took up so much space that they all had to park on the long taxiway, which is usually the lane that they need to drive up to get in a position to take off. But they were all parked there because there was no other room. The Pan Am arrived a short while later, but its passengers weren't allowed into the lounge as it was at capacity. So they weren't allowed to circle in the air and were forced to go to this tiny airport and then they wouldn't even let them in the fucking lounge. That's some bullshit. That's bullshit. And you know you had one angry white guy, probably. Mm-hmm. He's like, I am a VIP member. I drive a Dodge Stratus. <laughs> I am a district manager. <laughs> With 27 people under me. Um, When was this? This is 1977. So he was like, hey, toots, get me a beer and a cigarette. Where's the lounge? What? Let me speak to your manager. And then, you know. It didn't work out. Mm-hmm. It didn't, because they were just like, no, we're not going to let you do any of that. Yeah. You go to where we tell you to go, Nuh-uh. and then you can't go inside. You could uh, go where we tell you, or you can get mad and go where we tell you. Either fucking way, <laughs> you're going where we tell you. So uh, <clears throat> they, they did at least get to walk around on the tarmac and be hungry and thirsty. So I guess stretching your legs is just as good as... Eating and drinking. Yeah. You get the pace angrily. Using a normal toilet, not an airplane toilet. By 2.30, the bomb threat at the Gran Canaria International Airport had been contained, and the airport was allowed to reopen. 
Pan Am wanted to leave right away, but they couldn't because nothing's going right for Pan Am. So far, I'm going to call this a terrorist act. Well, yeah, it started with one. Well, I mean, it's because of one. None of this would have happened if there wasn't that. Exactly. So if they hadn't been redirected, none of this would have happened. Yeah. So this is an act of terrorism. But it wasn't directly caused by the terrorists. If they hadn't have called in a bomb threat or made a bomb. Oh, no, we'll get to it. There are plenty more chances where this could have been avoided. Okay. <laughs> it's not just because they were at this airport. Uh, There's lots of other things. Okay. Be a terrorist sympathizer. It's cool. Oh, okay. Damn. <laughs> okay, damn. <laughs> I was gonna. Oh. Well, yeah. Cool. Well, I guess. So, yeah, Pan Am couldn't leave right away because the flight crew of KLM had decided they would go ahead and refuel at Los Rodeos and save themselves time. Well, I mean, you're already there. The problem with this is that there was no room for the other aircrafts to get around them on the taxiway, so they were holding up the whole line for over a half an hour as they added 55,000 liters of fuel to their huge-ass jet. So they were like, no, you guys must wait on us. We're going to refuel first. Hmm. We are. Yes, our passengers got to go inside and eat and drink and be merry. And now we're going to refuel and hold you guys all up. Do you think they did the thing that we do in cars? Do you think like the pilot like put his hand out the window and was like, go around. <laughs> but I think I read that there, there was only like, there would have only been 12 feet of clearance, which was not within the guidelines of safe passage around Another aircraft. Yeah, to me, 12, 12 feet is pretty close for another fucking plane to be in you, to be next to you when you're in a plane. That's really a 200-foot fucking jumbo jet, yeah. Yeah. yeah that's... That'd be kind of hard to navigate because... Even if it could be done, that there is a high pucker factor. My butthole will tighten up. I'd mm-hmm. be like, hey, actually what I would do is I would put all my faith in the pilot. I would just close my... I would slide my window shut. Oh, I'm shut. sure the, the pilot's butthole would have puckered but that close of a... I just, slid, I just slid my little visor shut. I'm like, you know what? Fucking... <laughs> Take the wheel, Jesus. <laughs> you just got you whatever, man. I'm just going to trust you on this. Mm-hmm. Well, while the KLM was refueling, the passengers were called out to return to the aircraft. But a Dutch family of four missed the instructions and had to be located, which further delayed the KLM's takeoff. They were like, hey, fuckers, get back on the plane. Yeah. <laughs> There's a Dutch family looking like, why are they all getting on the plane? They look up at the pilot. He's they're like, go around. <laughs> Go around. They're like, oh, we think that pilot just lost his shit just there. <laughs> well, one of the passengers actually lived on Tenerife and decided to forego the trip to Gran Canaria as she would just be flying back the next day. So she didn't return to the plane. It was probably the best decision she could have ever made. Yeah. So with the family of four returned and the one that stayed off the plane, the number of passengers on KLM was now 234. For unknown reasons, air traffic control delayed all of the outgoing flights for another two hours. You know, I'm sorry to interrupt. If I don't say it, I'll forget. Um, you made me think of something about the person that just decided just to go home. Mm-hmm. Um, She's like, I live here. Yeah. I'll just stay. <laughs> Last night, I don't know if you heard, um, down at Ball State, there was a shooting. Seven people got shot at a party. Oh, wow. Yeah. And a customer came in and... Ball he, State is our college yeah, here in town. That's what we're known for. That's where David Letterman went to college. Yeah. Oprah came here a while back. Anyway, so a guy came in. He, we were talking about it and everything. He was like, yeah, my, my friend was the DJ there last night. I said, is your friend okay? He said, yeah, he's okay. 
He said, I, they wanted me to go, but I just wanted to stay home and chill. And I was like, that was a good fucking decision, man. Mm-hmm. And then as he was leaving, and I'm not laughing at what happened. I'm just laughing at what this guy said. He was like, he, like he was walking by the door. He's like, hello? He went, fuck, no, I'm not going to a party. You know what happened last night? I'm not going to a fucking party. And walked out. And I was like, dude, <laughs> he's never going to a party again. Yeah. Understatement of the year. <laughs> yeah. That's why you stay home and play video games. <laughs> Just don't play Sekiro. No. It fills you with the murderous rage, I hear tell, from Billy, as he screams. Yep. <laughs> Go ahead. So, planes and shit. Go. Planes and shit. So, yeah, for unknown reasons, air traffic control delayed all the outgoing flights for another two hours. So, they all continued to wait parked on the long taxiway. I'd have been so pissed if I was a passenger. <laughs> yeah. Um. Then again, I wouldn't necessarily want to go to an airport where they just got bombed. So, I would have been like, that's all right. I'll wait. <laughs> it was 4.56 p.m. when the captain of KLM, Jakob Van Zanten... Requested clearance for takeoff. He was instructed by air traffic control to taxi down the whole length of the runway, make a 180 degree turn at the end, and then get into position for takeoff. So he just said, fuck these hoes. I'm going to (laughs) go. Which is a procedure called back taxiing. And I think it was like they opened it back up and he was just like, finally, okay, can we go? (laughs) That kind of thing. Oh. I thought it was like our friend here. Like he was just like, I am a district manager. You don't tell me. (laughs) <laughs> Maybe. It could be. So, we'll never know. <laughs> so, yeah, he had to go drive all the way up the runway, turn around, and get into position. Basically, they needed to be at the complete opposite end of the runway from where they were for the takeoff. Air traffic control asked the KLM crew to notify them when they were ready for their ATC clearance or air traffic clearance. This isn't the approval for takeoff. It's just air traffic control giving them their instructions on how and where to go once they take off. There's coordinates and vectors and all kinds of boring shit that isn't important in this case. because basically, it's not to tell us that you're going to take off. It's to tell us that you're basically clear (laughs) to take off. When it's time to take off, we know that you're ready to go. No. No. This tells them, hey, when you take off, this is the distance you're going to go. This is where you're going to turn. You're heading. Yeah, it just, it tells them, hey, when it's time to go, this is what you're going to do. Okay. And then they go, okay. And then they wait until air traffic control tells them, hey, you can go. Yeah. Okay. I'm with you. Yeah. All kinds of numbers and coordinates and vectors. That is boring shit. That is boring boring shit. shit. It isn't important in this case, though, because, spoiler alert, KLM won't make it past the runway. So... Kind of pointless to talk about it. What if there's one listener right now that you just did that? and you, They were like, oh, motherfucker. And they just tore their headphones <laughs> off. And... <laughs> we told you at the beginning, 583 dead. <laughs> oh, I thought it was from one of those other airliners that was still parked. I didn't know it was one of those two you were talking about. <laughs> those goofy goofersons back there. Man. But even though air traffic control was requesting this copy on clearance, the KLM crew was performing their checklist, so they wouldn't get the clearance until they were in takeoff position, because they just couldn't be bothered. They were doing their checklist, and they were like, you guys gotta wait on us. Yeah, we're busy. We're checking shit. We're busy. Please hold. (laughs) As KLM was nearing the end of the runway, air traffic control instructed the Pan Am flight to follow KLM up the runway but to exit off of the runway on the third short taxiway. 
The crew wasn't clear on whether they said first or third, and the controller clarified it for them. The third one, sir. One, two, three, third, third one. So Pan Am started taxiing up the runway, trying to find the third taxiway to exit on. Well, I mean, he's, it was pretty cut and dry. One, two, three, third. But there are some big problems here. They can't count. No, that is not one of them. Oh, well, there went my guess. There's 99 problems, but counting ain't one. Yeah, that's cool. That was a pop culture reference. Mm-hmm. It was. I'm in the know yeah. with the kids today their, in the hip-hops. With their hip-hops. Mm-hmm. Getting faded. Rappity raps. For sure, yo. Uh-huh. Yeah. Hydraulics. Remember those? Those were a thing. They were. And Dayton's. Those were a thing, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Planes. We're showing our age. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Remember Easy e Remember mm-hmm. when he was alive? Yeah. Okay, let's go He's ahead. He's dead? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... The Los Rodeos Airport sits over 2,000 feet or 633 meters above the sea level. But higher than that is Mount Titi, the third largest volcano in the world and the highest point in Spain at over 12,000 feet or 3,700 meters above sea level. You said volcano? Volcano. Okay. (laughs) Which isn't the cause of the disaster. Oh, man. No, there's no volcano eruption. But clouds often form near the top of the volcano, and wind shifts will push these high-density clouds down the sides of the volcano to ground level with Los Rodeos. This happened as the jets were taking to the runway, making for horrible visibility. According to reports, once Pan Am turned onto the runway, their visibility was only 330 feet or 100 meters. Remember that these jets are over 200 feet long themselves, So that's not much farther than the jet's own length. That's as far as they could see. For big fucking jets. So odds are when you're... (laughs) That go hundreds of miles an hour. So odds are when you're taxiing and everything, you're really not going to see that plane until you're right up. Right. Right up on it. Yeah. Air traffic controllers in the tower couldn't see any of the aircrafts and had no ground radar to track aircraft locations. That's where if I was air traffic controller, everybody stop fucking moving. Oh, no, no. No one thought to halt any movement, even though the people telling them what to do couldn't even see them. Did you say one or three? It's one, you know, whatever. Whichever one you can find. What do you feel comfortable with? (laughs) We're just going to let you guys run the show. You could probably see better down there than we can. We're going to the lounge. (laughs) Tell that one fucking passenger we're going to the lounge. (laughs) Now, add to this that the Pan Am crew was unfamiliar with Los Rodeos because jumbo jets never came to the small airport. They were using a diagram of the tarmac layout to try to find this third taxiway with no visibility. Kind of like a football plane, a lot of X's and arrows. Yeah. O's everywhere. And, And let's think back to the layout I described. Or you can, once again, Google a diagram for reference. The second and third rungs of the drunkenly made ladder are uneven, with the right side higher than the left. Pan Am is passing them with the taxiways on the jet's left, so to turn down this non-perpendicular taxiway would require turning 148 degrees in a huge jumbo jet onto this little taxiway. And then they would have to make another 148-degree turn to get back to the long taxiway to head to the end of the runway, like a backward Z. If the controllers had instructed them to take taxiway four, it would have only required two 35-degree turns. 
A study that was later carried out by the Airline Pilots Association, or ALPA, concluded that the Pan Am's probability of making the second 148-degree turn would have been, quote, a practical impossibility, end quote, given the size of the aircraft and the lack of turning space back on the long taxiway. I'm really hoping that when an ad comes on, it's not for an airline. So they found in this study that it would have been almost impossible for them to have made these turns, but air traffic control probably didn't consider the size of the jet as they were used to small regional planes. And they would later say they instructed Pan Am to turn on to taxiway number three as it was the first unobstructed turn that they could make to clear off the runway. That's for that guy, George Warrens or whatever, he's really fucking spouting off right now. <laughs> and although taxiway number four would have been a much better choice, it wouldn't have mattered ultimately. That's sad to know at the end, none of this mattered. Like there's Some of it mattered. But I mean, like, that once, choice didn't once, necessarily once, matter. Once certain things go down, it's like, ah, you never had a chance. This, you know, fuck, what are you going to do? <clears throat> there's clouds on the fucking runway. And there's planes bigger than the planes they've dealt with. And yeah. they don't have anything but a sheet of paper to draw the tarmac on to try to guide. And then there's yeah. that one. Unruly... Well, it's like trying to find your turn when you're driving through the country and it's fucking foggy as hell. Yeah. You don't see it till you're right up on it and you're in this big ass fucking jumbo jet. And the directions were written in crayon from a four-year-old kid at a gas station. I don't think they gave those directions to the pilots. Probably. I don't know. We won't know. Then again, how things turned out, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> okay. So KLM is at the end of the runway and they're doing their 180 degree turn to get into position for takeoff. And they're able to do this because they're at the end of the runway, which is much wider than these taxiways. So they have the space to make this kind of turn. Pan Am is coming up the runway in the dense clouds with barely any visibility in an unfamiliar airport where they are trying to find where to go using a diagram. And the turn that they need to make is an extremely sharp turn. And none of these taxiways were marked. Recipe for disaster. You really should mark them. <laughs> but what happened shortly is still avoidable at this point. The crew was able to locate taxiways number one and number two, but their discussion in the cockpit that was recorded on the jet's black box never indicated that they actually spotted number three. At the end of the runway, KLM had fairly clear weather as they made their turn into takeoff position, though there were some thick clouds ahead of them that were blowing towards the jet. Captain Van Zanten had some ants in his pants and advanced the throttle to move the aircraft forward as soon as they completed their turn. First Officer Mears, that's just fun to say, Mears, 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 questioned him like, what the fuck, man? We haven't even gotten our ATC clearance. But I'm sure he said it more politely than that. But he was just like, um, hello, McFly. <laughs> <laughs> well, Van Zanten replied, no, I know that. Go ahead, ask. Almost like he knew he fucked up, but he was trying to play it off. Like, I was just making sure you knew. It was a test, and you passed swimmingly. Look at you, over here doing things. Yeah. Good for you. You caught it. I'm glad. Yeah. I've taught you right. <laughs> Mr. Earl for detail over here. <laughs> now, to try to paint this picture for you, I'm going to go off of transcripts from the Jets Black Boxes and the recordings from Air Traffic Control. And Mears. Just to let you guys know, if it's from the radios and stuff, 
it's probably going to get really sad soon. I don't have actual audio. I don't think that's ever been released. You don't need audio, but I'm pretty sure they're not like, hey, did you hear about this thing called Teletubbies? No, it's going to probably be really bad things they're saying. Like, oh my God, there's a fucking plane in front of me type of thing. Yeah, it can't be any worse than what we had last time. Yeah. Last episode was pretty bad. (laughs) Yeah, my sister asked me, she was like, where the fuck did Erica find this guy? I'm like, oh, I'll have you know, I found him. (laughs) (laughs) That one was me. (laughs) Which sister asked? The younger. Mm. (laughs) So, Mears asked for ATC. I'm going to say it like that. (laughs) Anytime his name comes up. It might be the last time, but Mears... That's a, yeah. Oh my God. It might be the last time. You know why? <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Guess why? I was just thinking, I don't think I mentioned his name in the rest of this, but. Guess why you'll never hear his name again. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I wasn't thinking in those terms. Just, I looked at your, See, you're getting more corrupt than me. I looked at your face like, uh, I'm just going to tell you that from now on. That's nah, probably the last time you hear it. I was like, oh God. <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. I was just thinking, I don't know if I mentioned his name through the rest of it, but... You foreshadowed like a motherfucker. Wow. Spoiler alert. We know Muir's doesn't make it. She's not... She's not going to say his name anymore because she doesn't need to say his name anymore. Well, Muir's asked for ATC clearance, which, again, is not clearance for takeoff. It's the boring numbers and vector shit. The tower gives the clearance instructions and KLM responds, quote, Uh, Roger, sir. We are cleared to the Papa Beacon flight level 90, right turn out 040 until intercepting the 325. We are now at takeoff, though it is possible he said, uh, taking off. They couldn't be clear when listening to the tapes. Was it because he had maybe a Dutch accent and plus over the radio, maybe it just sounded... Possible. Yeah. But that was all that boring number vector shit I was telling yeah. you about. I get, I get that when I'm on the phone all the time. Boring vector. No, I just I sound, shit. I sound different. I sound different because, like, they'll hear me on the phone and they'll be like, I'll be sitting there like, I can fucking see you right now and you're gonna fucking die, and they're like, huh? <laughs> and I'm like, sorry, wrong number, mom, and then I hang up. <laughs> Yeah, I could see where there would be a difference and there. I, then I call again. I call another number, you know, and I'm like, I'm going to go inside of your house and slit your throat while you sleep. And they're like, this is Papa John's. And I'm like, what's on special? <laughs> <laughs> so things get messed up on the yeah, phone a lot. Yeah, they, they do. That's why they call it telephone. <laughs> yep. I don't know why. You play the game of telephone when you pass a, oh, yeah. something on to the next person and it's totally different by the time you end. I purposely messed it up when I was a kid. <laughs> Just to fuck people up? Yeah. Yeah. You were the one that threw the wrench in the cog and yeah, cause they'll be like, fucked shit up old school. I like the color yellow. By the time I got to me, I'm like, he likes to have his pants down. <laughs> <laughs> so by the time it gets to the end... And what's crazy is you them the second to the last kid. It probably did really well up to me. <laughs> I'm going to burn the school down. And then there, <laughs> there's a hole to do with the cops. Uh, yeah. That old chestnut. Yeah. <laughs> then I call the principal, you know, and I'm like, 
I'm in the tree outside of your house. And then my mom's like, that phone's not even plugged in, Billy. And you're six. Why aren't you in bed? Sorry, Mom. <laughs> he had the deepest voice of any kid. Mom. <laughs> can I can I play Double Dragon? <laughs> okay. So at this point, the KLM brakes are heard releasing, and the captain says to check thrust, after which the engine acceleration could be heard. The tower says, quote, Okay, stand by for takeoff. I will call you, end quote. There's a problem here. Only the first part of the tower's radio traffic was heard by KLM due to interference in the radio system, which is called a heterodyne. It's like a scratchy squealing sound. Not so much when you hear like interference on a microphone where it squeals real loud. Feedback. But there's definitely interference and you can't hear what's being said on the other end. This was due to Pan Am getting on the radio at the same time. They had heard KLM saying that they were either, quote, at takeoff or taking off, end quote, and their buttholes puckered. They said to the tower, quote, no, uh, and we're still taxiing down the runway, the Clipper 1736. It was basically a, hey guys, wait up, we're still out here on the runway. (laughs) But this message wasn't heard by KLM either due to the radio interference. So KLM could not hear Pan Am or the tower because they were both trying to talk at the same time. I have a feeling I'd be that guy on the radio who says, before I talk, even though I know, (laughs) you know. And you say over, and we're like, you don't need to say over in planes. Yeah, and this is the (laughs) 70s too. They're like, this isn't Nom. Roger. (laughs) You don't need to make the sound dipshit. Taxiing down the interference. You make your own interference. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What if this would happen? They just created their own problem. (laughs) The captain was just a silly goose (laughs) and started this whole fucking thing. I don't think that's what happened, but. Turn to the co pilot. I'm going to prank these fuckers so hard. And he's like, well, don't do that ever. You know what I always wanted to do if I was a pilot? Fly? If I was a pilot taxiing, (laughs) I'd be like, (laughs) right before we take off, I'd be like, all right, ladies and gentlemen, the tower has told us we have been delayed for an equipment error. Oh, here we go. And I would just cut the radio. (laughs) If we would take off, it would be the quietest fucking flight ever. Nobody would say a fucking word the entire time. Be some white knuckle motherfuckers. (laughs) It seems we have a problem with engine number three. And so we're going to be delayed. Oh, whoa. Oh, hey, here we go. All right. All right. All right. Let's go. We're going to take this metal tube and throw it in the air. (laughs) See what we do. Like a javelin of the gods. (laughs) Valhalla. (laughs) Today's a good day, guy, folks. That'd be crazy. Uh, This is your captain. We've been clear for takeoff. I will see you all in Valhalla. And then just go. (laughs) Have you made your final preparations? Um, Just want to let you know, I am retiring. This is my last flight. And um, my pending divorce is final. And she took the kids. So, uh, let's go. And everybody's like, oh my god, this is not the flight I want to fucking be on right now. Well, the tower heard Pan Am and instructed them to report when the runway was clear. And the rest of these quotes are strictly intra-cockpit communications that each crew had with each other. 
So each crew did not hear the other crew's conversations. Yeah, in-house radio. Yeah. Pan Am was sick of Van Zant and shit. He was like... <laughs> okay. I'm sick of his shit. Over. <laughs> Over. Like, I, I'm I, sitting right next, next to, to you. Next to you, god damn it. <laughs> Knock it the fuck off. Roger. <laughs> Say again. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I'm gonna fucking kill this guy. <laughs> I'm gonna wreck this fucking plane as soon as we get in the goddamn air. I'm gonna fucking do this. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? <laughs> Nothing. I'm just, I'm I'm thinking out loud. Nothing. <laughs> uh, sorry, you're gonna have to finish that transmission. I was thinking out loud. <laughs> Didn't copy that. <laughs> I was thinking out loud. Over. <laughs> Roger that. <laughs> <laughs> well, the captain of Pan Am says, "Let's get the hell out of here," and the first officer says. Quote, yeah, he's anxious, isn't he? Referring to Van Zanten. The flight engineer added, quote, yeah, after he held us up for a half an hour, that expletive. Motherfucker. He I'm probably said motherfucker. Probably motherfucker. Yeah. Now he's in a rush, end quote. And I totally get it. KLM forced Pan Am to stay at the airport while they refueled, and then the captain of KLM wants to hurry things along. You've been there for over three hours, so what's five more fucking minutes? Yeah. The tower was still... Maybe ex- like one of those things like, you know what? You made us fucking wait. You wait. Yeah, exactly. Which would have been fair. The tower was still expecting KLM to hold in position and wait for clearance for actual takeoff. But Captain Van Zanten, somewhere in his mind, thought they had the go-ahead. Why not? But the flight engineer, the most junior of the three men in KLM's cockpit, picked up on the radio traffic from Pan Am saying they would report to the tower when the runway was clear, meaning the Pan Am was out of the way. We'll let you know when we're out of the way. He asked the captain, is he not clear then? The captain said, what do you say? Because he's obviously in his own little world where he's in a hurry and he can't be bothered with rules and communication. That's because he didn't go over. (laughs) That must be it. That's what it was. (laughs) The engineer. (laughs) You got me. (laughs) The engineer, you won't hear his name anymore either. (laughs) The engineer says again, is he not clear, that Pan-American? And the captain replied emphatically, oh, yes. And everyone that investigated later said it was a very assured, oh, yes. He was certain, oh, yes, he's clear. We're good to go. That's what, yeah, oh, yeah, we're good. In his mind, somehow he thought this was 100% A-OK, they were ready to go. We're going to do this. He was fly this plane so fucking hard. He was positive that Pan Am was clear from the KLM's path. I don't know where he got his info from, because even though there was interference, they could hear the Pan Am being told to report when clear. And they still didn't have clearance from the tower for takeoff. You know, fucked up if he was just like, I think they're the runway. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. What plane? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, uh, Van Zan began to accelerate anyway, because he had shit to do. <laughs> uh, let's be honest, he left the oven on. <laughs> He's really worried. Yeah, back in the Netherlands. <laughs> I didn't leave food for my cat. <laughs> Did they clear the runway? <laughs> yeah, 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 we're good, let's go. Mittens gets really mean when you don't feed her. 
She hasn't been to Claude. Yeah. Uh, Mittens turns into Glove. And we don't like Glove. <laughs> About five... <laughs> Your cat's a dick, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't hear that. <laughs> Your cat's a dick, sir. Over. <laughs> All right. About five seconds after the captain declared the other jet clear... The Pan Am crew spotted KLM's landing lights about 700 meters away. Captain Grubbs exclaimed, quote, There he is. Look at him. God damn, that son of a bitch is coming. End quote. <laughs> the first officer yells, quote, Get off, get off, get off, as in get off the runway. Captain Grubbs turned sharply to the left and accelerated, trying to get out of the KLM's path as it was approaching the right side of the Pan Am. Since the Pan Am couldn't see the third taxiway, they were actually near the fourth taxiway, which happened to be where the KLM was advancing towards very rapidly. The radios picked up the KLM captain Van Zanten saying, quote, Oh shit! And then a loud collision is heard just 10 seconds after the Pan Am crew had first spotted the KLM. You know there was that sad part you were talking about. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like, they were probably in the tower eating sandwiches. And you're like, oh, shit. And dude, like, looked up from his sandwich and was like, whoa. <laughs> they couldn't see him. All they heard was, oh, shit, and a loud crash. See, Brian, this is why we go to lunch in rotation. We don't go at the same time. I don't think an air traffic controller in the Canary Islands is going to be named Brian. Oh, really? Any more than an ancient Greek baseball player is going to be named Greg. <laughs> Indeed. It, it, okay. It's Greg Alatus. Oh, okay. I thought it was Gregory. Oh, no, it was Jeff. Jeffrey. Oh, Jeff. That's what it was. Yeah, Jeff. Well, it's Geoff. G-E-O-E-F-P-H. G-E-O-F-F-P-H. C-L-O-R-Y. M. Oh, I fucked up, didn't I? <laughs> so anyway, people died. So, yeah, people died. By the time the Kalen... So really, did all this start because of unpatient pilots... Planes too big for a runway and fucking clouds. Yeah, we'll cover all that. We'll we'll have a a go over at the end. <laughs> yeah, we call that here in the Martini and the Macabre business a sad ass recap. <laughs> By the time the KLM crew spotted the Pan Am in their pathway, they were already at full throttle and did not have enough time to brake as they were already going 160 miles per hour or 260 kilometers per hour. In an attempt to avoid the collision, they rotated up the right wing and attempted to lift off. But the tail end dragged on the ground for 72 feet, or 22 meters, before lifting off of the ground itself. I don't think a plane should do that. Yeah, but they also shouldn't run headfirst into each other either. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The front landing gear cleared the Pan Am, but the rotated left side engine, lower fuselage, and the main landing gear ripped open the center of the Pan Am's fuselage above the wing. Oh, he gave it the old college try. The right side engines of the KLM tore through the upper deck behind the cockpit. Uh. The KLM only stayed in the air for another 500 feet or 150 meters before sharply rolling, crashing into the ground, and sliding for another 1,000 feet or 300 meters. But with all the fuel on board... You know, the fuel that the KLM captain held all the other aircrafts up to refill? That they just needed to have. Well, it did what fuel does, and it ignited. <laughs> As one would do. <clears throat> yeah. 
Firemen rushed to the scene and began trying to put out the flames on the KLM, completely unaware that the Pan Am was sitting 1,500 feet away, ripped open and also on fire because the clouds were so dense that they couldn't see it. That had to be some dense-ass clouds you can't see fire. Yeah. Well, clouds and smoke. Still, though, it would be... I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, especially the listeners, by all means, correct me if I'm wrong. There's a difference in the color of smoke. Mm -hmm. If it's structural, it's black. If it's not, if it's like a bonfire, it's white. Clouds tend to be white. You should be able to look up and see black smoke billowing from somewhere. Not if the clouds are completely obstructing all the smoke. You're making me think this is like Silent Hill. Where Maybe it is. It might be. You're right. <laughs> In my mind, everywhere where bad things happen is Silent Hill. I knew it. <laughs> yeah. My mom borrowed my pyramid head shirt and she was wearing it today. And I was like, you are going to give that back before you move, right? Because that's my boy. You have a pyramid head shirt? Yeah. The one that I had specially made. Oh. Yeah. The Pan Am's middle and back half were pretty well destroyed, and there were explosions and metal pieces flying through the flames. There were some people in the front nose of the plane who were still alive, though. And pissed. They began trying to escape, climbing through the holes ripped open on the sides of the plane, only to find themselves facing a huge jump off of a wing and or metal being chucked at them from the explosions. Plus, the Pan Am's engines were still functioning despite the aircraft not being able to move. The pieces of metal that were breaking apart in the engines were being hurled out of the engines as they hit the spinning blades. So this all sounds to me like a really tricky video game level. Can you dodge the flying metal and not get caught on fire and make the jump safely to the ground without dying or breaking your legs? Because if your legs break, then you can't run away from the metal and the fire and the explosions. I mean, holy shit. (laughs) I wonder if, if the guy in 13B... Jerry, mm-hmm. it, he's sitting there, and there's that oh, one moment, Gerald, Gerald, where everybody's like freaking out and climbing over each other. Because when it comes to situations like that, you really turn into a feral mm-hmm. beast. You you climb over, you'll climb over a yeah, fucking your baby. Instinct, to your instinct, self-preservation. Yeah. And I wonder if Jerry's just sitting there, like, huh, not one oxygen bag drop this entire time, <laughs> not one. You know, they put so much emphasis on that, and uh, I'm looking, and uh, nope. That's probably because the whole top of the plane was gone, hun. Well, even if there's hard enough turbulence, those fuckers will pop down. I know. I've been in a lot of planes. They will pop down if you hit really, really hard turbulence. Mm-hmm. The kind where it actually is frightening. I find turbulence very relaxing. It's like a full body massage. You're like, that's what it feels like to me. But when it like, boom, 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 you're like, oh fuck, we turned sideways for a second. <laughs> they will drop. But um. You know, Jerry had just been sitting there like, huh, I'll be damned. Just for a second. And then he went crazy, too. He went all World War Z and started climbing all over people. Sure. But there was that segment where he was like, not one. Not one fucking bag. Well, there were actually many people trying to help other people that, you know, they survived the initial impact, tried to help people, and then they ended up dying from one of these other reasons. The fire, the explosions, or... The fucking metal being chucked out of the engines. <laughs> that's crazy shit right there. That's sad. But really. that's, you know, awful to survive that initial impact only to die from one of the other effects yeah. of that impact. You're like, 
I made it. And then you get lodged in your head the serving tray that's in the seat in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. That's some, like, found destination shit. Yeah. Well, the KLM was completely obliterated, and the fire took several hours to contain. All of the passengers and crew members died, 248 in all. All except that one lady who either had a sixth sense or a horseshoe up her ass that didn't reboard the plane. <laughs> who is who is probably standing on her porch looking out there going, whoa. <laughs> I wonder if those oxygen masks dropped. <laughs> they really emphasize that during the briefing. If there's such a thing as survivor's guilt... Wow. I don't think she should have survivor's guilt at all. I think she should really wipe her brow. And the thing is, do you consider her a survivor? Because she didn't really go through the trauma of the whole ordeal. But she was originally on that flight. I say, if you're on the manifest, that happened, and you're still alive, you're a survivor. Okay. Well, then there was one survivor. I would have liked to have said there were no survivors. Because we're referencing Mr. Show. But yes, the fact exactly. That you said you would have liked to have said that. That's because bothered. we've used that quote for so long. That bothers me. <laughs> I would have liked to have said there were no survivors. I'm like, oh, Erica, really? Come on, man. The fuck is wrong with you? Not that I like the fact there's no survivors. But would... we could have used that quote that we use back and forth with each other yeah. all the time. We do that a lot. There were no survivors. There were no survivors. <laughs> That's uh, a clip from Mr. Show that we're referencing. Yes. It was on HBO during the 90s. Go find it on Amazon and buy it. It's fucking hilarious. We need to rebuy it because ours are destroyed. Yeah. Watched them too much. Uh, Not enough. (laughs) True. On the Pan Am, 326 passengers and nine crew members were killed for a total of 335 dead on the Pan Am. Only 61 people survived, all with a variety of injuries. The total death toll between both planes, as I said before, was 583 people, and it all happened on the runway. Many investigations were done involving investigators from each country that victims were from. Many factors were felt to have contributed to this clusterfuck, but the Spanish investigation put the blame heavily on Captain Jacob Van Zanten of the KLM. Jacob. Yes, Jacob. Jacob due to him taking off without clearance. The fog and clouds were a big factor, as well as the interference in the radio communications. There were non-standard phrases being used in the radio traffic, like the KLM first officer saying, we're at takeoff, and the tower responding, okay, and then pausing before continuing with their sentence. And the airport was a factor too. It was not built for this much air traffic, and not by aircrafts of the size. And there were only two controllers who couldn't even see the tarmac running the show with no ground radar. It seems like they really would have been better just circling. Yeah, like they asked. Yeah. (laughs) The Dutch didn't agree with the majority of blame being on their captain and head flight instructor. I understand defending your countrymen, but if they're wrong, they're wrong. They did agree that he started takeoff, quote-unquote, prematurely, but said there was a, quote, Mutual misunderstanding, end quote, due to the radio interference. No, it's not a misunderstanding. They say, we're going to tell you when you can take off, wait, and then you don't wait. Yeah, but at the same time, I get it because there was radio interference through this whole thing. There was always a radio problem. Then if you're so not sure, don't, yeah, yeah. You wait and yeah. say, hey, air traffic control, do we have clearance for takeoff? Yeah. Yeah. all it would have taken if it had been me i'd have been like 
Um, okay. Uh, wait, hold on. Okay, so um, <laughs> I can't really, you know, pick up what you're putting down. So I'm going to pull over here, and we're going to park at McDonald's. And um, just let me know when you get your shit sorted out. I hear tinfoil rabbit ears work pretty well. And do you want a Big Mac over... <laughs> That's what I would have done. They did not do that. I'm pretty sure the, the, the fucking passengers wouldn't have cared about their schedule. It seemed like that's what the pilot was about. Mm-hmm. I have an itinerary. I have a schedule to keep. We're going. Yep. Maybe we shouldn't go. Maybe you should shut the fuck up, Steve. And then they went. And then they did Well, and they said, you know, the stress was on them because they'd already flown for so long that if they didn't make it to that destination within a certain amount of time, they were going to have to hold off flights because... Pilots are only allowed to fly for so long before they have to take a mandatory rest period, mm-hmm. which means that that air, airline company would have to pay for every one of those passengers to stay overnight at a hotel for okay. all their accommodations. So pay for it. Because so, yeah, exactly. I, I would, but he felt like, oh, well, I need to get this shit done so that the airport doesn't have to pay for it. I'm sure the airport would have, or the, the, or the air, air, airline, airline, the airline would have had to pay for it. Like, they're like, even if they called me and I was in the air and they're like, hey, you're past your hours, you're past your log flying hours, you need to take your mandatory rest. I can't right now. Why? One, I'm in the air. And two, bomb. So, um, <laughs> I have to, I have to write this out. Yeah. I mean, I could fall asleep now and then everybody dies or just shut the fuck up and book me a hotel. And it was like a hop, skip, and a jump to the other island. It wasn't like it was going to take all day. Uh, I bet you the It air- was only like 75 miles, I think, yeah. away, which would have been like a 20-minute flight. Yeah. And I bet you the airline... I blame the pilot because the airline... I bet you if the airline was grilled, I don't know if they were, but I bet the airline would have been like, if he had just fucking said what was going on, mm-hmm. we would have been more than happy to put him up in a hotel. <laughs> like, they'd be at a press conference like... Um, so, yeah, there is a mandatory arrest time. Oh, so, uh, like, oh, we'll take some questions. Oh, so did you not care about the bomb threat? Bomb threat? What bomb threat? Oh, there was a bomb threat, and there was a bomb. That's why they got diverted here. Okay. What's your name? Lisa, this is the first time hearing about. No, uh, we would have totally taken care of that. Yeah. Wow. I was really unprepared. Frank, you're fired. Um, I was really unprepared. It ended up costing them a lot more than it would have cost them to just put people up in hotels. So, uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure they got a double tree. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So they said there was this mutual misunderstanding that he did take off prematurely, but they didn't understand each other. And if that damn Pan Am had turned off on the proper exit as instructed, you know... The one they couldn't find with a diagram in the middle of a cloud that would have been nearly impossible to turn on to. That one. Well, the collision would have never happened if they had just done what they were told. Yeah. Stupid Pan Am pilots. You know, it really comes down to maybe even egos. Like, cool, you're a pilot. Yeah, you get the flight plans and everything. Mm-hmm. I'm in the tower. Mm-hmm. You shut the fuck up and you do what I say. Yeah. And, yeah. I'm in charge of your life. Yeah. You're in charge of the plane. I'm in charge of all the planes that's mm-hmm. on Earth in front of me right now. Yeah. When I say hang a Louie, hang a fucking Louie and park your shit. <laughs> I need to be an air traffic controller. Hang a Louie and park your shit. Uh, we're ready to take off. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is air traffic control. 
Uh, we heard you. You don't need to do the k- k- gonna anyway. Here's the thing. Um, how about you drink a nice piping hot cup of shut the fuck up? Turn to the left, or as I like to say, hang a Louie. Park, and I will tell you when. Mm-hmm. Now, if you feel froggy and want to jump, you're gonna kill everybody. <laughs> if I want to, I could tell you to take off right now, and then you'll kill everybody. It won't. It's, like, it's I won't like care. when they park you at McDonald's when you're waiting on your food. Yeah, you're gonna park and get your food, or you're gonna park and get your food because the food isn't here. So fucking park. And See, wait on your food. It's almost like the perfect example of that. We're, like, we're going to need you to pull ahead. We're waiting on fresh fries. And be like, no, where's the fryer? And then I walk back there and start doing shit. Yeah. No, no. Like, <laughs> no. You, I tell you to move up. If you want your food, go sit over there. Yeah. <laughs> wait. <laughs> <laughs> or like they tell me to move up so they can wait for the fries to come out. And then I just drive off, get in a plane and kill people. Yeah, like that. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I don't have to take this. <laughs> I'm gonna take this sit down. I'm gonna take it in an airplane. Where's your manager? Is he flying today? <laughs> but KLM ultimately ended up accepting responsibility and paid the victims and the victims' families compensation, which today would range from two hundred forty thousand to two point five million dollars. A settlement for property and damages was the equivalent of $455 million today, or an average in today's money of $781,000 per victim. A hell of a lot more than it would have cost for a hotel. Mm-hmm. It's believed by some that Captain Van Zanten was kind of stuck in instructor mode. He usually played the role of air traffic control when training other pilots and had not flown on any regular routes for the 12 weeks prior to the crash. To see, that's a contradiction in terms, because if he played air traffic control, he knows how important air traffic control is, and maybe tell the pilot to shut the but fuck up. But he's not used to having to wait on someone to give him the okay. He's used to being the one to give the okay. I know, but you'd think you would have the wherewithal to be like, oh yeah, they're in that seat where I was, and you I'm think. in the seat where I'm yelling at people, and he's well, yelling at me. This totally makes fucking sense now. Well, they thought that maybe in his head, all the pre-flight checks were good, so that meant they could take off, not really paying much attention to the real air traffic control. Because in his mind, he does this every day where we've done all the checks, it's time to go, okay, take off, pilot, and you pretend. You don't tell me how to do my job. I I, I have your job. I am a general manager with 27 people under me. (laughs) I could do 100 push-ups in 20 minutes. <laughs> That's a great skit. I love that. It's also believed that his choice to refuel had catastrophic consequences. In the time it took to refuel, the fog and clouds had started to roll in and decreased visibility. The fuel added 40 tons of weight to the plane, making it too heavy to lift up and completely clear the Pan Am in the distances they had. If they hadn't added the fuel... They maybe could have cleared the Pan Am. We'll never know. And the fire is ultimately what claimed the most lives, which was increased significantly because of the amount of fuel that the KLM was holding. And, um, just so you know, um, I did research on my own, Billy Pendant research, mm-hmm. and one of the regulations that changed, there's a lot that changed because of this incident. Mm-hmm. One of them now is called drifting. Um <laughs> You could, if you had enough space and you pop the clutch, you could, 
I don't know if they have clutches. I want to think they do. This is, <laughs> you really researched hard on this. This is the plane in the you Furious. You don't even know if they have clutches. This is the plane in the Furious. Or the Fast in the Plane. Whichever one you want. And I was like, oh, uh, you might, I don't know if you're going to make it. I'm like, I've seen Tokyo Drift. And then they're, and then they're like, hold on, ski. And then they do it. Ski. <laughs> Okay. So, yeah, as you said, as a result of all this, communication regulations were changed and standard phrases were introduced. Cockpit procedures were also changed, putting emphasis on the crew working as a team and lower level crew being encouraged to question higher ranking crew. It's called Crew Resource Management, or CRM, and is mandatory training for all airline pilots. A new airport was opened on Tenerife in 1978 called Tenerife South Airport, which now handles most of the international tourist flights. And ground radar was installed at the Tenerife North Airport, where the deadliest aviation accident in history occurred. And that is quite the clusterfuck of fuck uppery. Woo! Man. We hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. Enjoyed sad. our telling of it. It's sad. It's just sad. It's, it's so sad. For those 61 people, they're like, whoo, dodged a bullet. Yeah. Are you okay? Then they got home. Are you okay? Tell me everything. And then they had to fucking fly home. Oh, fuck hyphen Because they came from America. <laughs> That's messed and up. And that was the last flight they took. They took a ship. They're like, we're cruising back. <laughs> So yeah, we hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please get on iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and a review. It's one of the best ways to help us. It lets people know that lots of weirdos like you have listened and you like it. And maybe the weirdo reading the review will give us a chance and like it too. And please check out the other great podcasts on the Murderly Network when you have some time and show them some love. You can find all of us at murder.ly on the interwebs. If you would like to be a real baller and financially support the show, please go to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash martinis and macabre and make a pledge. Even a $1 pledge gets you access to our patron-only audio each month and a shout-out on the show. And for just a few dollars more, you can get some exclusive goodies, which Billy is supposed to be working on when he finds the fid, fud, fid, jid, fid, whatever. Fid. 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 fid fucker. You fid. finally figured out what it is? It's a fid. It's a fid. I'll find it. When he finds Fid. I will find it and put the thing together tomorrow. Both of them. I'm making her two. Yep. Two. And we will be getting with you sometime soon, Kirsten, for your intro. And just to talk to you. Yeah. It's been really crazy. I've had like 50 billion gazillion appointments and procedures and (laughs) stuff. It's just been. (laughs) My job's been taken over. Yeah. (laughs) It's been a whole to do. (laughs) So it's just been kind of hectic. Doing everything at the last minute. But uh, we want to thank all of you guys, especially our baller Joe, Amy, and Kirsten. Thank you guys so much. We also want to thank Amelia, Bonnie, Bridget, Chelsea, Christina, Cooper, Corina, Corey, Donald, Dylan, Belfast Grace, Hunter, Jennifer, Kate, Christy, Kristen, Lady Danger, Marie Maxine, Molly W., Monica, Stephen, Sue, and Vanessa, you awesome snuggle bunnies have our undying love. And when I see you, I'm giving you a peck on the cheek. Ew. I'm going to be like, 
Thank you. A little creepy. <laughs> I looked you right in the eyes. Yeah, you did. <laughs> Enjoy the night, terrorist team. <laughs> Anna, if you are too keen on the whole month-to-month payment thing, you can now make a one-time donation in the amount of your choosing via our PayPal link on our website, martinisandthemacabre.com. It's near the bottom of the homepage underneath all the Patreon links. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Martinis and the Macabre and on Twitter at Martini underscore Macabre. And be sure to join our fan page on Facebook as well at Friends Who Like Martinis and the Macabre. We love interacting with you guys. Feel free to post whatever you like on the pages and to share our posts because sharing our pages, posts, and tweets helps to get the word out. So share away. And sharing is caring. It is. Care Bear Stare. Yeah. We're doing the Care Bear Stare. You can't see it. it. You can't see it. But we're doing doing it. it. All right. I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> Visit our website, martinisandthemacabre.com, to learn a little about us, listen to our complete episode catalog, or to listen to all the songs created by Minimus Noah that we use at the end of each episode. And keep listening, because I will be putting another one at the end of this episode. Probably be another rerun, but an oldie but a goodie. And be sure to find his first official album release called Views on iTunes, Spotify, and many other music providers and... You know, be on the lookout for his newest album, which should be coming out in the next couple of months, I would think. For any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, shoot us an email at martinisandthemacabre at gmail.com, or you can use the contact page on the website. Once again, thanks so much for listening. Stay safe, Snuggle Bunnies, and we'll see you in two weeks. Bye-bye. Bye.
Roger. <laughs> you don't need to make the sound, dipshit. <laughs>